You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Ian, I feel so nervous with you sitting in a regular seat and not over there. Fine, we'll see what happens. I'm glad at least you're in the back. I uh, obviously am wearing New York Giants paraphernalia today. Ian is wearing that Canadian football team's Our Our goal, our hope, our prayer is that we have a Bills-Giants Super Bowl again. But I just have to say, because I've been right so far, the Giants are going to lose tonight. They're going to lose tonight. It, end, it ends here. Everybody calm down. We're going to have a good normal service tomorrow. I might be a little tired. But what we're going to do now is we're going to start off with um, the same song that we started off with last time. Can anybody remember what it was? We played it twice. Burl Lives have a happy, happy Christmas. Nope. Not that. Holy Ground. And remember, our theme for these uh, men's and women's ministries and kind of crept in on Sunday, this past Sunday, is the idea that our temptation when things seem disorienting is to look for stable ground. But in a turn of events, uh, and that's what I've been saying forever, and then in a turn of events, I feel like on Sunday the Spirit said, you know, when you create your own stability, it's just as disorienting (laughs) as your life was before you created your own stability. Because odds are, if we create our own stability to get it, we made somebody else's life unstable. And so what we want is holy ground, not stable ground. We want Jesus, if if we're going to have to walk on water which isn't stable, we want Jesus to say we can, right? And so what we're looking for is for his holiness to touch the things that are not stable. So what we're going to do is we're going to play this song, uh, Holy Ground, just want you to close your eyes. Kind of get into the mode, open up your heart to what the Spirit is saying. Let's just take a few minutes, listen to the song, and then we'll begin with our topic. We'll, Jacqueline and I will share for a little while. You have index cards. You can write down any questions you have. After breakfast, we'll probably go another. Uh, the second half will be question and answer back and forth. And any direction it goes, perfectly fine. So... Uh, We believe that the strength of our church is ultimately in conversations. And so we're going to give us fodder for that conversation in a little while, and then we will talk. So let's uh, see if this works and meditate for a few minutes. Ian, can you please go to the sound booth? I don't think that's the song. It's a good one. Don't put on the song of, don't put on the track of me singing. That's not what I want. There we go. Yes.
be here with us this morning and that we would learn what we need to learn, hone what we need to hone, and as always, that we would walk out of this place more equipped to love our neighbor as ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. All right, I'm going to read a quick text from, uh, from Genesis here. Story we all know kind of warm us up for what we're going to be talking about. So if you have your Bible or you're just taking notes as to what we're covering, this is going to be Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 14. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And again, notice, God never said not to touch it, correct? He said, Don't eat the fruit. Things start to go bad when we start to create our own stability. And we start to interject our own stuff into what God has said. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delight to her eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Too many paintings have Eve eating the fruit by herself. Like most men, Adam took the path of least resistance and just stayed quiet. All right. It wasn't all right. It was all bad. All good. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Second time, or maybe you could argue the third time, that they were creating their own stability. She interjected a rule. He said not to eat it or touch it. God never said don't touch it, he just said don't eat it. She saw that it was good for food. She gave some to her husband. They were deciding to go after the things of God on their own without God, and then when it went wrong... They created their own stability again and made themselves covering, tried to cover up what they did wrong. And this may be becoming one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. They sinned. How many have heard that sin separates you from God? It doesn't. And they heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from what? The pr- I know it doesn't say it there because I'm like, oh, you are going. Oh, nice, Ian. Good job. <laughs> Because it was my responsibility this time to change the slides, and I'm showing that I'm incapable of hitting the right arrow key. They hid themselves among the trees of the garden. Why'd they hide themselves? Who was coming? Who was coming? Does sin separate you from him? No. We just feel like it does, or we want it to. We hide. He doesn't. Just let it sink in. He tried, He comes to play hide-and-seek and try to find us. We're the ones that our sin causes us to leave him. It doesn't cause him to leave us, ever. They hide. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Who did he call? The man. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So notice, God finds them and says, Where are you? I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Another question. 
Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Another question. The man, like most men, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Adam just blamed two people in one sentence. The woman who you gave me. Everything was fine until I went to sleep and woke up and wasn't alone anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our daughter... They, they asked Sophie at school yesterday, when are, your, when are you your best self? And she said, when I'm alone. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. God, they sin, God comes to find them. So just right from the gate, sin brings God closer. Righteousness brings God closer. Indifference brings God closer. There is nothing you can do that doesn't bring God closer to you. If we're not around him, it's because we're hiding. It's not because he's not there. And every time we hide, he will find us. And when he does, he does not just bark commands. He asks four questions before he starts the list of things that are going to happen. Before he says to the serpent, on your belly you will crawl, in pain you will deliver children, Adam, by the sweat of your face you'll cultivate the soul. Before he starts issuing the plan of redemption, he asks four questions. After Peter denies him three times, Jesus doesn't just say, so when he's going to discipline Adam and Eve, he enters the disciplinary process by asking questions. When he's going to restore Peter for the three denials, he doesn't say, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He asks questions. What were you discussing among the way? What are those thoughts you were having in your hearts? All the time, Jesus, God, the Spirit through the prophets, the psalmist in the Psalms are asking questions. Because God is far more concerned with how you're doing than what you've done. He's far, far more concerned with how you are than what has happened. His first response, there's a lot of debate in the Hebrew uh, for the phrase, Adam, where are you? It's an interchangeable word that could mean where, or it could mean how. How are you? So the, the, the implication is the question, where are you, isn't, I can't find you, where are you? It's, it's, it's Jacqueline, you know, where, where are you at right now? Where are you at right now? You okay? It's that kind of question. It's not looking for him. He's saying, where, locate yourself. What's the weather like right now? I'm about, we're about to have to deal with something. You're going to have some decisions to make. You and Eve are going to have to respond to some things. But before we lay that out, how are you? Why are you hiding? Who told you that you were naked? What did you do? It's, he wants us to be able to locate ourselves. So is it safe to say then that if you are always hearing within yourself defining statements about your sin, you know, that bring forth shame and guilt and things like that, that it's safe to say that it's probably not. I mean, obviously God doesn't bring shame and things like that, but also... If he's coming in the form of questions, we should be hearing 
that within ourselves to those questions. Yes. He's always very good. He's always asking us through a thousand different ways, how are you? We hide because we think he's coming to say, what did you do? So we hide. But that's never what he's coming to say. He's coming to say, how are you? Lord, I just made the hugest mistake. I just hurt three different people. Okay. He's simultaneously asking them, the people I've hurt, how are you? And he's asking me, before we deal with this, how are you? How are you? That's always first. We can't heal until we can locate ourselves first. So, what we wanted to do is, we have four other topics that we're going to cover this year together. But what we want, before we can get into parenting, or finances, or anger, or lust, or any of these other topics, many, many topics that we're just going to flip coins and cast lots to decide what it is we talk about, before we can get into it, we, we thought, there has to be something up front. Before we can get into, you know, how do we heal financially? How do we make better decisions? How do we have better habits? We both felt like it starts with something we've recently learned in the last few years, and that's first you have to know where you are to know how your body's going to react when you start to try to embark on a discipline, when you embark on a new career, when you change jobs, when you enter a relationship, when you say yes to friends saying, do you want to hang out on Friday night? If we don't know where our body is, we're going to start to have all these reactions to all these different things and not know where they're coming from. So before anything else can occur, we have to be able to talk about, are there some tools that the church has given us in its history to help us know if God says, where are you or how are you? Can we answer the question? Can we say, yeah, I'm, I'm stressed, but I'm good. You know, can, or I'm, I'm really triggered these days and I don't know why. Like, can we locate ourselves? Before we make any decisions, we have to be able to locate ourselves. So this is what we're going to talk about. Anything before we move to the... So we've been talking about the Christmas story last time we met, the inn in the barn, and this I'm going to motor through this very quickly, but I've learned in five and a half years of pastoring this church that we have an unusual relationship when we talk about tools. When we say, like, here's, here's a tool to maybe figure out, you know, what's going on in your life. We, this church either just doesn't want to have any tools at all, and we're just going to wing it, or we hyper-fixate on the tool and act like Jesus showed up in the flesh and said, I want you to do this every single day, and if you don't one time, you're going to hell. And we just, we just want everybody, when you hear, we're going to offer you a tool today, a imperfect tool. Leave it in the toolbox. Just have it. But we want to talk about how to relate to what we're going to talk about today. So when you, when you hear of this tool that we're going to present, this, this resource for locating yourself, uh, we're going to give you sort of a spiritual GPS to figure out where you're at in life. For starters, don't associate with it in terms of guilt or shame. Oh, I'm doing this so well. Oh, I'm not doing this well at all. Just take the tool. Take it. When, when I was growing up, we, we got a workout bench. It ended up being what we hang laundry on. It was perfectly fine. It had a use. It had a use. Don't get all private and compare yourself. Like take, take this resource and compare yourself to your previous self or compare yourself to your future self or other people. And don't 
Don't utilize this just in isolation. Utilize this with each other, with other people. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about, on Sunday, how health is maybe one of the number one areas the devil likes to come in and create fracture when people are healthy. Satan has a hard time messing with Christians who are in a bad spot. He has a very easy time messing with Christians who are in good spots. We're going to talk about that. So don't do this in isolation. And don't get competitive with it. Even competition within your own self. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better than I've done before. Don't compare yourselves one to another or to your own self. Just receive this resource and, you know, as Bishop Q would say, just, just play with it for a while. See how it works. So how do we want you to receive this tool that we're going to be offering? With grace and peace. Flexibility and assurance. Grace and peace. Receive this resource we're going to offer and give yourself a lot of grace and have a lot of peace. You might hate it. It might be dumb to you. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Grace and peace. Just receive it. Welcoming. Be rece- And this is also with yourself. Like, give yourself grace and peace. Be welcoming with yourself. Receptive and open to the various ways the Holy Spirit moves through the ideas that Christians have had over the centuries. They're good ideas. Receptive and open. And be incarnational, meaning like apply it to your life. Live with it for a while. You know, we have a tendency these days to like taste something and decide whether or not we want to keep it forever or reject it forever. It's like just hang out with it for six months. Test this. Use what we're going to offer for a little while and see if eventually it starts to make some sense. We think it will. We wouldn't present it if we didn't. feel like this was uh, a gift God gave us that we want to share with you. And so again, no guilt or shame, no comparison, no competition, grace and peace, receptivity and openness, and be honest. And don't do this by yourself. Let other people talk to you. We're going to talk about knowing where you are. You might be in such an unhealthy place, you don't know where you are, and you might have to ask your spouse, you might have to ask a friend, you might have to ask somebody else, you might have to ask us, hey, here's what's going on, like, Pastor Bill and Jacqueline, where do you think we are here? Like, let's not do this in isolation. I'm just looking to you to see if I'm passing or failing. (laughs) She'll never let you win. She'll never let you win. So, as an analogy... What's your blood pressure? We all know that 120 over 80 is better than 175 over 100. Can we agree? Yes. Okay. Top number, bottom number, together is a sign, one indication of health. It's not always an indication of health. I've gone to the doctor before, and they're like, oh my gosh, your blood pressure's so high. And I'm like, yeah, I just got into an argument with Jacqueline. Your blood pressure would be high, too. Can we wait 15 minutes and then check it, right? So it's not always an indicator, but it's one tool that is a strong indication of how we are. And if that's out of whack, it doesn't necessarily say what's wrong. It just says that something's wrong. And you have to go through the investigative process to figure out what what is making these numbers askew. So, what's your spiritual blood pressure? Top number, bottom number. 120 over 80 in the spiritual world is living a life of growth over consolation. We're introducing these words now. And just so everybody knows, 
When you leave, you're going to have a card that has all four things we're going to discuss on the front and all the definitions of them for you on the back. You're the man. Ian is the man. That's all on the floor. There we go. Growth over consolation is better than stress over desolation. These are the words that we're going to introduce for us to decide if we know where we are in any given moment. Like I said, something as trivial as, hey, Bill, Giants game tonight. Do you want to come over and watch them lose with me? Yes, I want to come over and watch them lose with you. As soon as I say, I'm going to say yes or no to this invitation to come over somebody's house. In reality, we have to know where are we right now? It's, say, 9 o'clock in the morning. I might be in one of those places where in the morning I'm really excited to say yes to the plan, and by 3 I'm going to hate myself <laughs> for saying yes to the plan. Or I might be in a place where I definitely want to go, but the rest of my family probably needs me home. Like, we have to know where we are. Like, Jacqueline might be cutting an avocado, and she may need me home. <laughs> Story for later, but I'm just going to drip it out there for everybody. It's got a lot of twists and turns, I promise you. It does. More than you can realize. So, an avocado took center stage in our, in our week this week. And so, you have to know, where are you? What's going on in your life? Are you capable of cutting an avocado or are you not? Like, you have to know, like, where you are before you, before you go to make a decision. And then are you capable of cutting it a second time? <laughs> The second time that matters. <laughs> so here are some definitions. Growth. Yes. When a, and this, I mean, we have whittled these. These definitions come largely from somebody named Saint Ignatius, and books are written on each of these definitions. So we are whittling down a ton of material to simple sentences. So growth is when additions, anything entering your life, anything at all, from a big, huge life event to a, hey, do you want to come over tonight? When additions excite and produce motivation. When you're in a season of growth and somebody like lays something else onto your life, you're like, yes, I can't wait. I'm up for this. I'm here for it. Let's go. That's growth. Remember that? <laughs> Remember growth? I don't either. <laughs> Stress. When additions frustrate and produce resistance. So growth is when something enters your life and it motivates you and like your whole self and resources gather around it and you're excited. And stress is when additions enter your life and all of a sudden it's pr producing resistance in you. You're wondering about yourself. You're concerned. You're thinking, if I say yes now, but will I be happy that I said yes later? And then that produces anxiety and on and on and on, the, you know, the guinea pig wheel spins. So that's growth and stress. That's the top number, 120 over 80. That's the 120 number. Growth or stress. Then the bottom number, consolations. Consolation is when circumstances are faced, facing God. So consolations don't mean things are going well. It just means that whatever is happening in you, you're facing God while it's happening. So, and, and this is largely because of all of you. I felt like when this second foot surgery came, 
my body said this is going to be very discouraging. And I never actually felt the pang of discouragement hit me. It was a season of stress, but it was a season of consolation. My stress over it was facing God because of the community around me that is the dopest community a pastor could ever possibly have. It's true. And my wife, kids, the Holy Spirit, I was facing God with it. So even though it was stressful, I was consoled. My stress was pointed towards God. My thanksgiving was pointed towards God. So this has nothing to do with circumstances. This is how you are entering whatever circumstances you're entering. And being comforted by God. Being comforted by God. Shined on by Him. Yes. And then desolation is when circumstances are faced, turned from God. And we're going to talk about this. You could be in a season of growth, but not facing God, which could be one of the most dangerous situations any of us could find ourselves in. We're going to talk about that. So growth, when additions excite and produce motivation. Stress is when additions frustrate and produce resistance. I will say this. We have very little control over the top number. Growth or stress, we have very little control over. It's just what your body is going through. You can't, I didn't choose to have a foot surgery. Things were out of my control. And you're, you're not super excited to have even a tiny part of your body amputated, right? Like you're not like, yes, this is great. God's going to have something better for me. It's like, no, I'd rather have my toe. Just saying. Right? So you, you can't really decide or work towards, like you can't get so healthy that you're never stressed. You can be healthy enough to not remain stressed. Right? Like weeping can endure for the night. You can move. So sometimes when we're unhealthy, you ready? Sometimes when we're unhealthy, we stay stressed or we stay happy when we're unhealthy. Health is when you can ebb and flow between proper emotions for the proper circumstances. Alright? These are big things, even though they're said easily. Sometimes we think that a healthy person is always happy. A manic, crazy person is always happy. (laughs) And I think your life is going to naturally ebb into both of those, you know, back and forth. But um, it could also be a season where it's just, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or it could be years in one or the other. Yep. Absolutely. Like, yeah, we, we are, we're taking the simplest approach here. Like, you could be in a year of growth and in it have days of stress, right? So there's a lot of nuance, like we're just, this is just a basic overview of it. But consolation and desolation, we do play a role in. If the things in our life are turned toward God or they're not, we play a role in that, right? We can turn, we can look beyond the hills from where our help comes, or we can keep looking at our own belly, thinking that the help comes from ourselves. Like we can do that. So the top number We don't have a lot to do with. The bottom number, we play a large role in. So here's the model. And we'll start with these. The bottom number, the bottom location, will be what the top one will eventually gravitate towards. So if you're in a season of growth, but you're also in a season of desolation where you're not entirely turned toward the Lord... You will find something like 
you will say yes to something because you feel really, really good about it and you'll take on more. And then as that more is taken on, you'll find that it's slowly beginning to wear you out. And you're like, what happened? I was so amped about this. And then the minute I started interacting with it, not good. Or you could be in a season of stress and consolation, the bottom left one, where you know that you feel like you want to say no to something, but you know that you're pointed toward the Lord and you know that once you start interacting with it, you're going to engage. It's going to be one of those things where you say, I didn't want to go, but I was happy once I got there. That kind of thing. Right? Like our, our son has finally begun sleeping, except for last night. <laughs> woke up like 45 times last night. And I woke up this morning like overslept, didn't go through my normal routine that I go through when I have a service uh, in the morning. And it was stressful, but I knew like right now I'm in a season of consolation. So I knew once, once I see the building. Once, my, once I walk through the front door of the church, it's going to start to engage. So I wasn't so stressed that I was feeling stressed this morning, right? So the bottom number is what the top number will eventually gravitate towards, right? So if you're in a season of growth and consolation, you'll stay. If you're in a season of stress and desolation, you'll stay. If you're in a season of growth and desolation, that growth is going to turn to stress. Doesn't mean you don't do the thing. It just lets you know how your body's going to respond when you do. This isn't a tool to say, should you or shouldn't you? This is a tool that's going to tell you how you're going to react when you make a decision, whatever the decision is. And then obviously, stress and consolation, that stress is going to turn to growth. So we're going to, now we're going to explain each one individually. But is everybody tracking here? Yes. Good. Jacqueline? Yeah, I think the dangerous thing is also thinking, um, like with the growth and desolation, that you can sustain growth on your own. Because when we're in a season of growth, we feel good. We think that it's, you know, we feel motivated. So it feels like it's going to go for a long time. And we cannot sustain anything without God because he's the one that gives us the life. So it's always going to move into the season of stress if we're not turned towards God. Yes. Yes, you can... That's exactly right. And so that idea, like the, the, the biological part of this is the top number. The Christian part of this is the bottom number. Right? And that's, that's enormously important. The top number is the biological number. Like, you're going to go through this. The bottom number is, is Christ involved or not? And like we read from Genesis, he's involved. Are you involved with him is the question. He's involved with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not height, not depth, not famine, not sword, not even your rejection of him can separate you from him. He's stubborn. He's more stubborn than any of you. He's more stubborn than Betty. He's very, very stubborn. <laughs> Always ready for interaction. When I'm in the building, you're going to love me. This desolation, I want to 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 say something that you said that freed me. Because desolation, we always think it's a hundred percent. It's sixty. It's mostly, but your desolation can be five percent, ten percent captive, and you not know. So you can be in that period of growth, 
but have that 5-10% there that still kind of have you prisoner. Yeah. I remember you said in a service, um, your time with God doesn't have to be that you get up and then you got into the scripture. Maybe you're a person who get up and you need a song. Mm-hmm. And that's time with him. Just get time with him. So I just wanted to bring that back because for me, I'm mostly the season of growth because I'm not going to let anything hold me down too long. That's my personality. That's just and, and what I came out of, came out, coming out of not having parents, not having anyone. But that, but I had that 5-10% desolation where when I didn't get up immediately and fall on my knees, I was like, man, I just ruined the whole day. Because I, if I overslept, I was getting them, getting the kids ready, and I was thinking, ah, just dishonor God, because wait a minute, I didn't put them first, I put the kids first. And when you said that, that statement that you made, you know, that I'm paraphrasing, I was like, oh, wait a minute, oh, I do get up, and I, I always have worship music on. I can't live without it, I can't do without it. And so when you said that, it freed me out of my 5-10% desolation, because I kept trying to get it right. Yeah. So I was setting the alarm for earlier, earlier, but something would happen, and I'm like, ah, still in front of my knees right away. Like, oh, I didn't get it, right? Yeah. But I was listening to my, um, in between meetings, I was listening to TV Jakes and the people I love just to boof me up and get me, and I was doing that, and I still felt like I was falling short until you said that. I was like, oh, wait a minute. See, but that part, the part where you always felt like you were falling short, that's the desolation. Right. Yes. Right. Right? That's the desolation. Right, and so it's like in in the in the grand 365 days of a year, we should have a healthy diet of a lot of different disciplines. But in any given day, if the best you can do is wake up and pop on one of your go-to Christian songs on the way to work, and that's the best you could do that day, and then you start to feel shame or guilt, like we said before, because you didn't spend you know 10 minutes in the Word, that's desolate. Yes, that's desolate. But you're also stressed. Yeah. That's why I took it to the bottom mm. section mm. because she said niggles by day. Mm. So she's already mentally putting herself into a space. That's right. This is what happened with yes. Adam and Eve. Yeah. When they saw that it was good and that they could start to use stuff to make their own wisdom, bang, it falls apart, right? So they just, a lot of this is just recognizing everything in that story. First, I'm not a good person if I didn't do X in the morning. That's one thing to say, like, okay, I'm locating myself. I'm, I'm really being legalistic with myself. The next thing is to sit there and say, okay, but all I could have done today was just listen to a song. That's actually all I could have done today. No, no, nobody's, when we sit there and say something like, you're going to make me go on tangents. I'm sorry. When we sit there and say things like, but it's, it's important. You should read, you know, 30 minutes a day and pray 30 minutes and then listen for 30 minutes or something like that. We're all, like, those models assume a particular lifestyle where you work a nine to five and your home is calm in the morning and, like, no, 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 no. Sometimes you have to take a good idea and then adapt it and pivot it and move it and meld it and mold it. When you're in a season of growth, you might be able to do more. When you're in a season of stress, you ready? When we're in a season of stress, that's when we think we have to do more. And it's why we never get out of the season of stress. When I'm in a season of stress, listen, I'm your pastor. When, I'm in a, when I wake up really stressed, I sit and think. I don't open my Bible. Because my brain is closed to the words and everything on the page. It's not there. I need to sit until things loosen. You 
do less. When you're in a season of growth, go get it. When you're in a season of stress, give yourself some space. You have to breathe before you can read. You have to breathe before you can even listen to something. It doesn't, it's like the seed on the pathway. It's just not, it's not going to go in. So like we have to locate ourselves. Where are you? When you're, when, when I wake up in the morning and say, I, I woke up, I went downstairs, I picked up my phone, I saw a headline, two and a half hours later, I'm on my way to work and I didn't read my Bible, shame on me. Because I could have. Because it was there for me to, because I was ready for it. And I didn't, I didn't reach my potential that day. But if there's another day where I wake up and all the thoughts of all of my life are right here and I just, I'm scatterbrained, I'm stuttering over my words, I can't remember what I have to do that day. If that day, all I do is read the verse that says, your consolations cheer my soul. And just live off of that for the rest of the day. I did more than I was capable of doing. We have to locate ourselves. What are you capable of? Go get it. Whatever you're capable of, go get it. What you're not capable of, do not beat yourself over the head with what you couldn't have done because God is not beating you over the head with what you could have done. What you couldn't have done. Yes? What about he keeps you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him? Because you might not always be able to read scripture, listen to worship music, but mentally, spiritually, and I'm talking about as a Christian, only one that knows God, your mind, because God knows the hearts and the mind of man, yeah. is stayed on him. So where is that part at? That's well, the consolation. Yeah. That's the consolation. That's the, com- the peace is the comfort of God, that when you're turned towards him, when your mind <clears throat> is stayed on him, you're receiving that comfort in peace, peace that passes understanding. Like, I shouldn't feel peace right now because I'm in a, a season of stress, but it passes understanding. And again, we're, we're saying all these things because we're assuming that through the course of a long season, you'll be able to look and see all the different things. So in any acute moment, sure, you might have to get up and not read. You might have to get up and not pray. You might have to get up and assume God Man, if I get to the end of the day in one piece, we've had a very good day today. That's fine. But if that's all it is, you need help. And then if you're always reading and always gobbling up and always having these one, two, three hour morning routines, and it's slowly happening at the expense of your relationship with your kids or your friends or you're late to work or you're so obsessed with what you're reading that you're not doing a good job at work, like... You also maybe need help, right, Rob? I have a question. I, I, I feel like I feel like like I'm hearing what you're saying, and all I can think about is uh, the the measures that's been put on me by like my upbringing, or like my church, my family, or you know my in-laws. Like they have a me- they have like a they have a measure, you know. And so it's like, how do you how like I hear this today and I get it and I feel it and I believe it. But then we're going to all be sitting down and mom's going to talk about how you ain't holy if you ain't this, that. And then that measure comes that measure comes back in and it seems like it just brings it right back. And I want to kill that because I believe that I believe I believe this. But 
the first thing that pops in my head, maybe that's my desolation, like the first thing that pops in my head is that measuring stick that's always been there of, you know, you're not it if you don't, like, it, it, I, I, how do I, how do I kill, how do I kill that? Because that, that, that's what messes me up in, internally. I, I, I picture that, I picture that, that measuring stick. One of the things that I think is helpful is when you are in a season of growth that you prepare, when you're in a season of growth and consolation that you prepare for the seasons where you start to hear from other people and you're not able to say necessary, you're not able to pivot right away and say, no, but God says this, right? So what, like with working out, if you work out while you're feeling good and you're healthy and you're feeling that motivation, you're putting, you're like storing up for the times where you hurt your foot and you can't, you know, go to the gym for two years. You're, you're storing it up. So I think in the same way that you are disciplining yourself with that, you can create disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are very important during times of growth and consolation because, well, Teresa of Avila says that you receive the consolations when you pray, when you have a consistent prayer life, you actually receive, you, it turns into consolation. So creating that discipline, that habit while you're feeling motivated is going to store that up for you when you start to feel the stress and desolation, you'll still have things to pull from rather than your storage house being empty. Right. And, and the Bible talks often about like the little foxes will come in when you store things up. Right. Samson had the foxes come in and destroy the storehouses that they had stored up green mm. or the little foxes run into the vineyard while it's while everything is fresh on the vine. Right. There's grapes. The foxes will come in and destroy it. So while there's a season of growth and there's things happening in your vineyard. Right it's important to make sure that those little foxes don't get out and, and run through the field. And I think that will, that will bring when there's not time for you to read your Bible and remind yourself of what God says and forget what these people are saying. This is what God says when there's not time for that. If you've already stored up, you've prayed, you've read your Bible during those times, you'll be able to pull from it. still. real quick. And then to, to piggyback off of that, and this is why God says, where are you? So ready? this is like a moment. No one can swing you mm. <coughs> when you know where you are. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're going to a person's house that you know does that sort of thing. <laughs> and you know going in, you're in a season of stress and desolation. You know that it's going to trigger you. Right? You know it's going to. When you know that before you go in and then you get triggered, you're still in control of yourself. That person didn't get you outside of yourself. This is why God says to Adam and Eve, where are you before anything else? Because he knows there's a, there's a serpent that's chirping at them. And he knows that if they don't know where they are, if they can't name where they are, he's going to tempt them again and he's going to get them again. But once he gets them to say, we're hiding because we heard your presence coming and we knew that we were naked and we don't even know what being naked means, but we know that we are. Once they say that, their armor is locked in now. Now that they know where they are, someone can't get them 
So, so much of this, so much of why that triggered you in the past isn't so much because the person's right or wrong. It's because you didn't know where you were at. I'm talking to you specifically. We've talked about this. But now that you're learning where you are, and you're, you're like we said yesterday on the phone, man, you're, you're introducing yourself to yourself. Yes. The more you know where you are, people can't, people can't get under your skin because you're already under your own skin. But that takes practice. It takes practice and it takes everything you've gone through, Rob. It takes the phone calls, the meetings, the tears, the, the back and forth, the tense con- It's you, you broke through to knowing who you are and where you are. And it takes a lot of effort to do that and it takes a lot of effort to maintain that. But when you know where you are, let them chirp. Let them chirp because if they're right, I, I already know. You're not telling me anything new, and if you're wrong, you're adorable. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being wrong. It's adorable. But I'm, I'm going to let you keep doing this because it's not affecting me. I'm going to serve you by letting you do whatever stabilizes you, but it's not going to take me off my compass. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And then, and Claire, and then Ron. When I was an early mother and um, had kids in Beacon, and my, um, my parents lived in Beacon, I would go over to their house, and um, pretty much every time I would go do laundry or whatever, pretty much every time I went, I left there crying. And now I cry just because this is just what the is. <laughs> but I, I, cry, I would cry because I felt like I didn't, I didn't measure up. And um, sometimes that was because of words, sometimes it was just because of my own feelings that I had allowed them to rule over me. My father felt sorry for me, I know he did, but he couldn't help me. And one time I was listening, and this went on for a long time, one time I was listening to something on the radio, and this guy started talking about this verse. And Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will um, uphold you with my righteous right hand. And this guy was talking about, I think maybe used in the Amplified Bible, because he said, what it's saying there is, I'll give you a hardness to difficulty. My God. And it talks in, the, in Ephesians how he, the shield, the God's word is a shield. Your faith is a shield to you, to protect you from those arrows coming at me. Because that's what I felt like every time I went there. But I had to do my laundry. <laughs> and so it was like God gave me the shield of this verse and that gave me a hardness to the difficulty of having to listen to having to let that affect me the way it did and it was like a miraculous thing where I would go there and I did not I didn't have to leave crying I didn't have to cry when I was there I was able to say to get rid of those expectations of my mother to be a certain way Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com. But it was this one verse, listening to that, and then seeing the different aspects of it, a hardness to difficulty. It was like, all of a sudden, where, where I got to the point where she was saying something once in front of my kids that I, that I knew it was, I didn't want them to hear. And I said, Mom, can you come here for a minute? We went into the other room. And I said that to her. I said, Mom, my kids are here, and I really don't think that they should hear this. And I couldn't believe it myself. <laughs> but then she was so positively responded and apologetic. And this was all God doing that, because I had found, located myself behind that shield, mm-hmm. behind him.
that he was never going to leave me. He was surely there to give me strength. And so what happened was that was that was a consolation. And that bottom number, when, when, when you began to be consoled, that stress over consolation becomes growth over consolation. Yes. Because yes. the bottom number changes the top number. Yeah. And so when you received, when his consolations cheered your soul, yes. all of a sudden the stress, the situation didn't change before the stress did. And once your stress level changed, all of a sudden it started to pay itself forward. Yeah. Right? So that's the importance of locating yourself. Yeah. When you're turned towards God, when you're attuned to the voice of the shepherd, you start to be able to discern what is a shepherd's voice versus <clears throat> what is someone else's voice. And I think a lot of times we, we hear voices in our head that are actually someone else, what they're saying. Yeah. To us or about us, and we can hear that from you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and it's still we can still picture that person mm. saying the thing against us, right? The ghost of that person is still speaking to us, and when we're turned towards God, we can begin to say, "This is this is not the voice of God. This is the voice of someone else." And so, if we're able to locate ourselves in that way, we will be able to begin to discern those things. So this is great. And I knew that you would all mess this up because I would not be able to keep you from asking questions until part two, but this is what we love. This is what we were hoping for. We have no qualms about not moving through all this information. There's something that Jacqueline just said that was spoken to both of us by brother Randy, our spiritual director. I'm getting to you. I haven't forgotten. And I want to, I want to talk about this because I think it's very important for all of us. Brother Randy said, we were talking about voices, like he, he asked us for a lot of times, like, when you get something right, when you get something wrong, what voices are you hearing? And at first that question seemed stupid. We're like, weirdo, we don't hear voices. He's like, sure you do, I know you do. But then what he was getting at was this, Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, listen very carefully to this. Peter says, you're the son of God, the one who is to come. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My father in heaven did. So Jesus recognized that the voice of his father spoke to Peter. And that even though Jesus was hearing Peter's voice, he recognized it as the voice of the father few minutes later, when Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem because I should be delivered into the hands of sinful men, Peter, in the same bravado, says, don't go. And Jesus says, get behind me. He just realized that a different voice has hijacked Peter's voice. In neither instance was Jesus responding to Peter's voice. He heard God in the first comment. And he heard the enemy in the second comment. Both of them biologically came through Peter's voice. But the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit hijack voices. And Brother Randy said, when you think about the people in your life that affected you the most, your pastors, your parents, the Holy Spirit always wants to hijack the spirit of their voice. And have you hear them for the rest of your life in the spirit of everything they wanted to tell you and teach you. 
Satan wants to hijack the ghost of their voice and misinterpret their intentions and repeat the memories back to you in an oppressive, traumatizing way. And it's our job to know, am I hearing this memory in the spirit of that memory or in the ghost of that memory? So you could argue in this model that when Jesus heard, you are the son of God, he heard the spirit of Peter's voice. And when Peter said, don't go to Jerusalem, you can't go die, he heard the ghost of Peter's voice. And spirit and ghost are just words to differentiate things that we don't really have a vocabulary for. But there's a way in which the Holy Spirit still wants to speak through the spirit of the best of those voices. And there's a way that the enemy wants to speak through the ghostliness and the hauntedness of those voices. And we have to know where we are, because if we're in a season of growth and consolation, it's going to be easy to hear the spirit of our past. If we're in a spirit of stress and desolation, man, we are only going to hear the ghost of our past. So it's important to know where we are. I pray right now, every day, ever since then, I'm like, every time I make a memory with any of my kids, I'm like, God, please remind them of the spirit of this memory. Every time I do something wrong, I'm like, please help them remember the spirit of what I should have been wanting to do, <laughs> right? Like, please, but when they, when they remember me, remember the spirit, not the ghost, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He's in a relationship now, so he's a little... That's all right. <laughs> Did you get up? Like, how'd you even fall? Uh, my jacket. I was trying to pull my jacket up. I just thought you got slain in the spirit. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, let's get the elders over there. Let's, let's pray for him. Really don't remember that. We'll remember the spirit. Don't talk about that in church don't give him ideas. <laughs> Me and Jacqueline were so good, we were knocking people out of their seats. <laughs> Elder Ron. So, a quick thing, Rob. What, what came to mind when you said that, and I'm so glad everybody made the comments that they did, because I've done training and I talk about people hearing their voices when you talk to yourself and they all look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, yeah, you know what you do. Right? <laughs> so a couple things. One is this whole Christian walk that we do is about relationship, right? It's about our relationship with him, with the Father. And part of your struggle, we haven't talked about this before, but I bet part of the struggle is because it sounded like you were talking about in-laws and your parents or elders of yours, right? So it's difficult when they're putting their words in your head, how am I going to go, how am I going to bump up against this, like what Jackie was saying? How am I going to bump up against this? Because well, I have a relationship, I actually, he was saying it too, Claire, I have a relationship and how's this going to go? But if we pick up on the, the training piece that we're doing, the key is, is what is your relationship with your father? That's the deal. Because everybody else, if you know if you have $100 in your pocket, it doesn't make a difference how much somebody says, you're broke, you have no money. It's like, no, I know I got $100 in my pocket. Right? So if you know your relationship in terms of location, where you are in relation to God, then the challenge is, because we're human beings in relationship with all these different people and all these different types of relationships, I'm not going to let what you're doing, like what Claire was dealing with, I'm not going to let what you're doing speak thoughts in my head because not only does it become outside people talking to us, we start saying nonsense to ourselves as well. Yes. 
So what you need to, so my encouragement is, is make sure you know who you are. As long as you know who you are and what your relationship with him is, everybody else is, thank you for having that opinion, thank you for sharing, but, but I'm just not seeing it that way. Yes. And then what you need to do is then figure out, so how do you, like what Claire did, how do you actually navigate? I'm not going to agree with you. I don't really like what you said. So you have to start picking times and places and exactly how you're going to do it. And that's the challenge as a human being related to other people. But the deal is, is who are you? You know you're his. He loves you. There's nothing that he won't do for you. So therefore, everything, everybody that's not working in that direction, you know what? I love you, and and thanks for sharing. Amen. Amen. Trust. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. Trust. And you know, you know, in reality, the people who trigger you the most are the people who say the things that you've already been thinking about yourself. Whenever somebody says something to you that you know is not true, it's like, all right. But whenever somebody says you are dot dot dot, and you've already been wrestling with that, that arrow sinks deep because you feel confirmed in something that you were hoping wouldn't be confirmed, right? So we're gonna we're gonna break for breakfast in a moment. We have five minutes. I was just air traffic controller was just telling me we have five minutes back there. So the first thing we want to say because we're gonna go through each one of these on their own, but we want you to know this: what is Jesus say in the book of Revelation? I wish that you were either hot or, but I don't want you to be. So the reality is. Being in a season of growth and consolation is as safe as being in a season of stress and desolation. Yes. When you're in a season of growth and consolation, when you're fully operating, and it happens, it happens. I've seen it in each and every one of you. You go through seasons where it's all working. You're good. When you go through a season where nothing is working and you can't even help yourself, it's so easy to discern and see it. There's no surprises. You know it's not working. But when you're in a season where there's some good and something off, it gets very, very difficult. So growth and consolation, this is, and again, I would love for all of you to think of a story that matches it too. These are imperfect analogies that Jack and I came up with. Growth and consolation, a vision of this in the Bible is David in the story of David and Goliath. David is okay being in the field. He's okay being anointed king. He comes to, he's anointed to be king and he comes to bring his brothers cheese because they're at war and he's not jealous that they get to be at war and he's stuck shepherding. He's very confident. He's already writing a psalm book in his season of being a shepherd. He knows he's anointed to be king. The anointing isn't pulling him into some sort of ego yet. The being a shepherd isn't pulling him into some sort of disappointment. He's perfectly fine to bring cheese to his brothers that everyone else respects more than him. He hears Goliath's voice, and he hears, sees everybody freaking out and cowering in the corner. And he's like, he's turned towards God. He's in a season of growth. He's just receiving his life, and it's growing. You want me to be a shepherd? I'll be a shepherd. You want me to be king? I'll be king. You want me to bring cheese to my brothers? I'll bring cheese to my brothers. He's 
totally involved and motivated by everything he's being asked to do. And then he's also turned toward God and he's like, why is everybody afraid of this dude? You're all thinking that you have to match up against him. God is matching up against him. We just need to go down there and tell him that it's not us he's fighting. Just remind him that I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Right? And then when Saul tries to put armor on David in a season of growth and consolation, David's like, no. I'm fine right here. I got all the armor I need. I, I realize right now everything I needed to learn for this situation I've been learning all along and I didn't realize it. Just, just, and, then, and then with Goliath barreling down at him, what does he do? He picks up how many stones? Five. And what kind of stones? Do you know how hard it is to find five smooth stones? He's like, no. Goliath, like lumbering over him. That won't fly very well. No. Oh, this is a good one. It's like, David, hurry up. But he's, he's not. He's in a season of growth. He's consoled. He ends up with four left. And when you read about his mighty men, they kill four more giants from Gath later on in the Bible. Though he's in a season of growth and consolation. Not his whole life. Definitely not his whole life. These seasons shift dramatically. There are seasons where he's wearing nothing but armor and he's losing. Okay? But in this moment, it's growth and consolation. He's just calm. He's facing, whether he's facing cheese and a wheel cart he literally in the story it says he says hey can you please watch my baggage while I go and handle this it's like he's aware of his baggage and he's okay giving his baggage to somebody else he's healthy I have baggage and I can't do what I have to go do with this baggage I'm carrying can you please hold the baggage sure I'll hold the baggage thank you it's like these details matter Saul's hiding in the baggage to not be king. He can't get out of his own baggage. His baggage has overwhelmed him. David is letting other people take his baggage. Again, at this point in his life. Later on, not good. But in this moment, he's in a season of growth and constantly he knows what to do with his baggage. He knows who his God is. He's turned and pointed towards him. He doesn't see, he doesn't see slaying Goliath as greater than feeding sheep. Such a healthy place. And we can be in this place. And we often go through this place. Some of you are in this place right now. That's one of the easy ones. Let's pray for this. Please, for each other all the time, pray for this. This is nice. It'd be really dope if we were all in this at the same time. God would never let that happen, but it would be nice. And then stress and desolation. Jonah and the whale. Totally stressed. Doesn't want to have anything added to his life. Go to the great city. Nope. I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to go to another city and I'm going to hide from you. And so he's in a season of stress because he can't add anything to his life. The minute something gets added, he's paying. It says he paid the fare to leave. Like we will spend more trying to get away from God than we will doing what God told us to do. Right? We think the cross is expensive. It's not nearly as expensive as not picking it up. That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> Once in a while. I like that. And then he isn't facing God, and it's causing this havoc on other people. In David's story, stress over consolation, everyone gets delivered because of David's life. 
in this situation, everyone's in a storm because of Jonah's life. But it's obvious that this he doesn't need to discern, where am I right now? Am I in a good place or a bad place? What is he doing on the boat in the storm? What's he doing? He's sleeping. He's running away. What is Jesus doing on the boat in the storm? Are those two sleeps the same? You see this? There's a sleep that is an avoidance, and there's a sleep that is a rest, a Sabbath rest. The action is the same, but Jesus is sleeping in the storm for the opposite reasons that Jonah is sleeping in the storm. But whenever, when you're in a season of growth and consolation, you're just, it's working. When you're in a season of stress and desolation, what will God do? God will get you out of it without you doing anything. He got a whale to swallow my man and vomit him off where he needed to be. That's why he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're hot, you're going to be doing what I want you to do. If you're cold, I'll, I'll take care of all of it. It's when some of you is good and some of you isn't that, I, that, that the Spirit is worried for us. When you think you're good, but you're really not, but you're so good in one area, you can't tell that there's a cancer in another area. And those are the two we'll talk about after breakfast. The two, the, the ones. When you, if you're in a season of stress and desolation, all you have to do is say to somebody around you, can you please just toss me overboard? Just toss me overboard. He was so stressed, he couldn't even jump. I, guys, I'm so lazy right now. I know I need to get off this boat, but you're going to have to pick me up and throw me. I have nothing. And then he starts to sink. And as he sinks, all of a sudden his faith rises as his body sinks. And he starts like praying things that are psalms, which is spooky. And then by the time the whale swallows him, he's already ready. And then when he goes to where he's supposed to go, he's in, you're ready. He tells the city to repent. And then he's mad at God. So he went from stress and desolation to stress and consolation. He was still stressed and he was still mad, but now he's communicating with God and he's not hiding from him anymore. And the story ends there. It doesn't tell us what happens because we know what happens. Once you turn to face him, you will still be stressed. But all of a sudden, that energy begins to change. Right? And so, stress and desolation, growth and consolation, these are the easy ones. You know when you're good. And we're going to talk to you about how do you know when you're good. You know you're good when the people around you are getting closer to God because of you. If you're the only one who's good and everyone else around you is upset or fatigued by you or concerned by you or doesn't feel seen by you, but you swear you're in such a good season and the people you're responsible for aren't getting into a better season, you may be in a situation like Noah where he was righteous but his righteousness wasn't contagious at all. He went into the ark, but never invited anybody else into the ark with him. There's a way in which you can deceive yourself into thinking you're good, but if your goodness isn't infecting anybody else's badness and helping them along, you're not as good as you thought you were. And those are the things that we're going to talk about after breakfast. Can we please give a round of applause for these guys who have been... <laughs>
Yes, anybody who has kids in the other room, you can get them, they can eat too. All right, so a few, what, what night was it? Was it Friday, Thursday night? Wednesday. Wednesday night? It was Wednesday night? Wednesday night. Wednesday night, obviously, you know, we're trying to eat healthier. And I get home and we're, we're in the last season of The Wire on HBO, which is a great show. We're very late to the game, but it's a great show. And all excited, and you get your little bit of food out, kids are in bed, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, and we're sitting there, and Jacqueline starts to cut an avocado, and she goes to pierce the pit to pull it out, and... Which I've done thousands of times, <laughs> with no incident. Right. 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 Misses the pit. You should protect your wife. I am. Misses the pit. And threw the avocado into her middle finger. Which now she can't flex her middle finger for a while, and the Lord is teaching her things. Yeah, she's got, well, for now, hold on. The story's not over yet. The story is not over yet. So, right away, it's like, alright, you, you gotta go to the ER. It was like 9 o'clock at night. I'll be home with the kids. Jacqueline's excited. She's like, I'm going to take my Kindle and blah, blah, blah. She's like excited to go get a... This is like a mom's life. You're excited to go to the ER because at least like your kids aren't there and you can read. So she goes to the emergency room, comes back with stitches. Fine. Everything's fine. So we think. Next day, I come home for lunch. Jacqueline's holding an avocado. And I said, well, Sophia said, Mommy, next time, use a spoon to carve out the pit. Right? So Jacqueline's holding it, and she's got a knife in her hand, and I'm like, half joking, half concerned, like, maybe, I don't know, put it on the table or something. And she literally says, I know what I'm doing. I did not do it that way, but yes, I said. I know what I'm doing. I was like, let me, let me just, I know what I'm doing. And she, because I guess the guy that works at Trex taught her how to get an avocado pit out. He told me a different technique, which I tried. To slap the pit with the knife. She missed. Because you can't, she said you can't slice your hand if you do it that way. Yeah. I gotta go have a word with this gentleman. Goes to slap it. Misses the pit. It didn't miss, it slid off. Go on. Into her hand, pit goes flying. This time we don't need stitches, which we're trending in a good direction. And the pit came out. And the pit came out. It came out. And uh, that's it. That's the story. She did it twice. I don't know. I don't know what to tie this story to. I don't know any spiritual implications of it. Stress and desolation. She caused for the rest of us. Doreen has figured out a third technique, which I'm going to try, which is it not using a knife. knife. It doesn't involve any sharp objects. Good. Good. You you apparently pop the pit with your thumb from the back. Okay. Oh. That sounds safer. <laughs> what could go wrong? Something. But are, are, 
our sister, uh, my sister-in-law, Jacqueline's sister Ruthie, said there's such a thing in the medical field as avocado hand. Because people do this all the time. So let me just, let me just, because since we're a family here, let me just mention, I was eating vegetables and the doctor told me to stop because they didn't want my blood pressure to be too low for surgery. I ate grains and got diverticulitis. She tried to eat two avocados and almost cut her arm off. We're done with this diet. We're done with this diet. We're done with this diet. Honestly. Pizza. Okay. Back. Here we go. So what we want to talk about now, we talked before. We did growth and consolation, which is great. Everything is good. We did stress and desolation. Again, even though it's tough to be in this situation, it's easily it's easy to discern when you're in the situation, and that makes you more honest. And like we said, holy ground is honest ground. It's why God told Moses to take his shoes off because he wanted him to feel the truth of the ground that he's standing on. And so even in stress and desolation, which is where you ultimately don't want to go, when you're there, you know you're there. And knowing is extremely helpful to recovery, to a season, to get back to a season of growth. The tough ones are stress over consolation. So this is when, this is a season where things are being added to your life or things are going wrong and it's, you're feeling it in your physical person. Like you can just, you're in one of those seasons where when enough things go wrong enough times, even something small going wrong feels like a crater hit at that point. You know, so you, you have financial issue, financial issue, financial issue, and then something happens financially that's not really that big of a deal. It's a 2 or $3 mistake that the cashier made or your credit card company made. But you, your brain is saying, oh, my God, what else is going to go wrong? Like something that would have just like went right off your shoulders. When you're in a season of stress, everything feels like a monumental hit. I remember um, when we were doing, before COVID, when we were doing uh, Eucharist, every time Bill Bernasconi would go by me, I would tap him on his shoulder. Every time. And this one Sunday, he comes by me, and I tap him on the shoulder. He's like, oh, my God, why would you hit me? And I'm like looking at the internet camera. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't hit him. I didn't hit him. I promise I didn't hit him. And what happened was he had a flu shot. And his arm was very tender. And so the same love tap felt like a punch because there's stress. Right? And so a season of stress makes even light things feel like things that are significant. Right? And, um, but consolation means that in that season, you're still pointing that stress toward the Lord in a healthy way. And I think, I think, again, these are not perfect examples, I think John the Baptist in prison is a good example of this, where the top part of his life is now extremely stressful. He's in prison for doing everything he was supposed to do. And it doesn't make sense why this is happening. And it's like, I've been in the wilderness I've been rejected by the scribes and Pharisees. People have been questioning me my whole life. My disciples are leaving me. Now I'm in prison. Oh my gosh, I can't take another thing. But what does he do? He asks for help. Please go ask Jesus to give you a word for me. And so he's still 
pointed toward Christ. He's still finding a way to get Jesus' life and word into his season of stress. And so what happens is that when you're when the bottom part of you is consoled, the top part begins to change. And so we presume that he heard the word, uh, that he died faithfully, and he knew at that point when Jesus came back and said, everything you prophesied is actually happening. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then Jesus says, no one has been greater than John the Baptist. Like At that moment, you, you can feel the consolation that enters the prison for John. And then I think the argument could be made that we know that that story blessed people and consoled them because for the rest of the New Testament, whenever any of the disciples are in prison, they're writing letters, they're sending hope, they're having encounters. And then whether it's Martin Luther King Jr. or Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing from a Birmingham jail or writing from Teagall Prison... Um, their, their letters are still consoling us now, letters that they wrote while they were in prison, right? And so there's this theme that pretty much originates from either, you know, Jeremiah down in the cisterns or the prophets, uh, Elijah in, on the run or John in prison or Paul in prison or Peter and James, whatever it is, it's been ballooning throughout history that some of our greatest writings are happening when people are in prison because... When there's consolation, when even your imprisonment, your desert season, your dry season, even your sinful seasons, when they're pointed toward God, the stress goes through consolation and it moves into growth. And so the, the concern Jacqueline and I have here. <clears throat> And I think the, the, the vulnerability here is that when you know you're in a season of consolation, when you know you're pointed toward God, you could possibly be like John in prison and think you don't need to go ask for a word. I got this. I'm pointed towards him. Now notice, John didn't get a word from Jesus himself. He got a word from Jesus through other people. Our concern for a time of stress over consolation is that the bottom part of you feels so good you don't reach out. And the stress doesn't heal because consolation comes from the Lord and the Lord works through your church. He works through other people. John reached out. You know, Paul would say in prison, it brings me joy even when in my, in my chains, when I hear of your faith in the Lord. So it's not, he's not choosing joy in prison. He's hearing from other people, the gifts that they're sending him, the visits that they're bringing to him. I can't wait for Timothy to come and bring me word, right? Like these comments are realizing that even though I'm in a season of consolation, those consolations come when I don't make myself an island. And so one of our concerns and it's making sense to me as I'm saying it more than ever, is when there's stress at the top, but you feel spiritually healthy at the bottom, that's when we're most likely to become islands. When there's stress, but I feel okay with the Lord. That's when I'll say, you know, I'm going to take my stress into my own little private areas. I don't need, I'm, I'm too stressed to be around people, but I know I'm good. 
That's when things can go wrong. Quickly go wrong. So even though John was still pointed toward Jesus, he, he reaches out through other people to say, come confirm what I'm feeling, that he's the one. Just, I want you, I want you to come back with a word, right? Anything, does that make sense? So the scary thing about stress over consolation is when you know spiritually you're in the right place, but life is just weighing, like life is just going wrong. It's just weighing on you, but you feel okay. That's when we're likely to become not competitive towards other people like we're about to see, but that's when we just feel like we don't need them. We can, we can get through this. And that can be a scary spot to be in. Any thoughts on that? Ideas, comments, questions? Anger, rage. <laughs> Good ways to cut avocados that we could hear about. Okay. I think it does make a little sense. No. It does make a little sense. Um, when, when I was going to speak in this last year, even though the whole stress of the, all the stuff that I had to go through, I always felt like I was in the good place because I was spiritually good. is so valid. You know, like, calling people a lot up front, what am I going to keep, keep calling people for this entire six, seven, eight, nine months, maybe I should just chill out, maybe, you know, they're going through, some of my friends now are going through some stuff, you know, I know you're an amazing husband's like, pastor, I wanted to ask you a question, but I know you're really busy, like, these are good things, but that's when we need to say, like, after a little while in there, like, you know what, I, I, I think I do need to annoy somebody, I think I do need to reach out to somebody, I'm maybe... I still need to get the consolation in the one-on-one -on -one time. That's really healthy. But I also need to hear voices. I also need to hear other people. And so that's a, that's a great example of how it can, like, slowly, really, really slowly turn. And uh, actually, Doreen um, emailed me early, early this morning with, a, like, sort of like a vision she had of, like, a ship that was, like, anchored. And the anchor wasn't coming up. And it was slowly dragging from its anchor point. And no one was checking the GPS, and nobody was thinking that anything was wrong because of the very slow move away from where it should be. It never felt like anything was wrong. It never felt like anything was falling apart. And that's when we just we just need to reach out. I mean, I mean, Rob, just because you know, I know you're okay with this. You know, those first couple of times that we were talking, it was like, all right, Pastor, you said to call you, so I'm doing it right now, even though you know I feel bad or like. You have to break through that wall, that initial wall of, I hope I'm not an inconvenience, I hope I'm not. And then once, once it got rolling, it was like, you know, I answered my phone the other day, I was brushing my teeth. I'm like, oh, it's wrong. I forgot I was brushing my teeth. I was so excited to talk to you, right? Like, those things, like, we have to break through those walls. Like, it's not good for me to not reach out to you, and it's not good for you, to, for me, to not reach out to you. Because part of what animates your gifts is my needs. What do your gifts matter if I'm not reaching out to you? 
our my need activates your gift, and your need activates our gift. And the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit. You need love, joy, peace, patience. You eat from the people surrounding you, yeah. so to speak. Trees don't eat their own fruit. Other people reach out. That's how, right? So yeah, I mean, that's like, and I, when I say like a concern, I feel like these, these two that we're talking about now, the kind of good, don't realize I'm not, is where most of us probably are. This In this post-COVID time frame, we're okay. Everyone's kind of like a little bit of relief, but there's stress, but we're kind of okay, but we're kind of not, but we really are. It's like that inner monologue of like, do I really need help? I don't think I do. I'll try one more time. Maybe in a couple of days, I'll call my doctor. Like there's all of this like negotiating going on. And once you negotiate with yourself for more than 30 seconds, reach out. If there's a should I or shouldn't I, reach out. If err on the side of I'm just going to call one person in and be like, hey, I don't know if I'm good or not right now. You know, I, I met with my spiritual director yesterday. He's like, how you doing? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> and he's like, finally. That's a good answer. And I didn't know if the finally meant I always tell him I'm good or if he's sick and tired of me saying I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> but it was just like one of those things where it's like, you know, these days I'm confused. Like, I can't tell sometimes the difference between, like, motivation or being naive or, like, the Spirit's inspiring me, or I'm just being stubborn and, like, trying to push past my issues. Like, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. And so we need, we need other people to talk through this with us, to help put everything where it's supposed to be and, and get a lay of the land. Does that make sense? You ready for the scariest one of all of them? I should have had Ian make this red. <laughs> Growth over desolation. I think, in my personal opinion, the most vulnerable one of the four to be in. Because this is when everything feels physically motivating to you. On the top of your life, up here where you can easily see and measure, you wake up good, you're up early, you're getting things done, you're administratively sound, you're setting goals and meeting goals. Like, things are going good when people, you're, you're helping other people with their stuff. And you just have all this life momentum, but don't realize you're actually not pointed toward Christ. You're actually slowly becoming narcissistically full of yourself. I said that super aggressively. You're, <laughs> really, <laughs> that was really aggressive. Especially really. after Pia just said it. <laughs> Did you just say it was you? Yeah. I didn't hear that. Did I say narcissistic? I'm a cute, cuddly, nice. <laughs> Well, you know, so, so examples of what I mean. Examples of what I mean said not so aggressively. When you're in a bad, like let's say things are going wrong, but you're in a season of growth over desolation. Things are going wrong. You're constantly asking God to help you. Does this sound wrong? Does this sound wrong? No. But if you look at your prayer life over 30 days, if 99% of the prayers are God help me, God help me, God help me, Get me through this. I'm trusting on you for this. I'm trusting on you for that. And all of a sudden you realize there's been no prayers for my family. There's been no prayers for my church. There's been very few thanksgivings about the things that are actually going well. It started off good with asking for help in times of need, which is great. But then you realize all of your prayer life has been about you and the stuff going wrong with you. 
it's slipping to a dimension where we're sort of more focused on ourselves than we are on Christ. And that's one of the things that Peter does here. What does Peter say? He's in a moment of growth. If all of these fall away, I won't. If every one of my brothers falls away, I won't do it. And he said it out loud. The other 11 are like, what? If we all what? And what does Jesus say to him? Listen carefully to this. I never saw this before until we were talking about it. Jesus says, tonight you're going to deny me three times, right? And then what does he say? But I'm going to pray for you, console, so that when you return, you what? Strengthen your brothers. So notice what Jesus just said. He said, Peter, you're right about them. They're going to need to be strengthened. They're going to fall away. You're right about them. You're just wrong about you. But when you go through this, and you learn to face me, and stop facing yourself, being so confident in who you are here, in this case, you're going to come back and strengthen them. Because you're right about They do need your help. But right now, you're competitive toward them. You're not serving them. So he actually affirms that Peter was right. Except that Peter was so into his moment of growth that he didn't realize to face the Lord, we have to be a servant. Not be triumphalistic and be the one to succeed so everyone else sees how to succeed. That's the Christian misconception. You go and succeed and then the world will see it and want to do it too. No, no, no. no. Nope. That's not how it works. We need to realize other people are having trouble succeeding and go and help them along. If they just watch us succeed, it's going to be unmotivating. You ever watch somebody who's doing really well in an area where you're not? It's not fun. You get mad at them. And you start to make up reasons why, well, you know, no one knows that she's really saying that, 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 because everything like that. It's like, whoa. This is a dangerous place to be. If, you're, if, if the growth over desolation has you feeling so good about yourself that you're not realizing that there's a humility that's being lost, that could be very scary. Or if it's a bad season and, and you're aware that things aren't going well, but it's being received with like a real positivity and a real mission, that's good. But again, it has to be pointed toward the Lord. And when it's not, this is the hardest time to see. Because most of us think that because there's growth on the top, that must mean we're facing Jesus. Like, but then there's verses like, you know, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Right? Don't think when it goes well with you that you start to say, my hands have gotten me this wealth. Right? Like, beware when men speak well of you. Like, there's so many warnings for good, healthy times. Because that's when we let most of our guard down. That's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. You know, I, 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 I really honestly, like, have a moment. Like, one of the things I'm personally working on is uh, when, when there's something when there's something that any of us really believe in and we're not sure how it's going to be received, sometimes we say it very aggressively. Which I just did before by saying narcissistically selfish. Because you're wondering, like, am I going to be able to make this point? Am I going to be able to get this through to my kids? Am I going to be able to make this point in my presentation at work? And so you get a little hyper-aggressive. Like, when we say things like narcissism, when we say things like self-righteous, they have, 
we have to remove the top meanings of them and their worst and realize these are everyday words that we should be using for ourselves. They're not as evil as we make them out to be. And one of the reasons why the devil can tempt us is because we've made these words too evil. We've relegated self-righteousness for the unsaved or the Pharisees, or we've relegated narcissism to people that we see on TV and things like that. It's like, we have to start making these words a little pedestrian, a little everyday. Like, I just read a book uh, last year on narcissism, and I read it for a reason, and I didn't know it turned out that God handed me this book for me. <laughs> and I'm reading through all these different qualities, and I'm like, oh my, we have a... I didn't hang out with Chuck DeGroat. Did he? Has he been following me my whole life? And you're just seeing like the potential for our own self-centeredness. You know, like one time uh, my sister said, do you like this particular preacher? And I said, no. And she said, why? And she sent me a devotional that he wrote. And I read the devotional and I said, I sent it back in an email and I said, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to circle every time this devotional says the word you. And I want you to circle every time this devotional says the word Jesus. And when she sent it back to me, it said you about 35 times, and it said Jesus once. And I said, who is this really about? This is the stuff we have to be careful of. You can be, you can be, you can be, man. What we need to hear is Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is. Like, that's what we need. Because when we hear Jesus is, what does Jesus say to Peter? When you return... You are the consolation your brothers need. So this whole talk has been about how we need consolation so that the top numbers can be healthy. But then we can't leave before we realize that we're also tasked with the, with the mission to be the consolation that other people need. It's not just about Peter getting forgiven. Every time Jesus forgave him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Love, yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my flock. It's like every time there's redemption, there's mission right behind it. It's not just for Peter to sit by the sea of Galilee and say, I'm forgiven. He has forgiven me. My sin has been washed from his memory. Right? That's not what it's about. It's about he's forgiven me. i got to go strengthen my brothers. That's when you know there's real consolation. When our redemption is spilling over into the lives of other people. The growth part, I'm good with. Like, I'm always doing stuff, and I love doing stuff, and people love when I do stuff. And most of the time, they benefit from it if I'm making something. That cake! Yeah. <laughs> it is great. I love oh, it. Yeah. Like, and I do it, and it's great. Like, I can help a lot of people do things. And then I'm doing it, and doing it, and doing it, and then I probably get down to that desolation thing where I'm like, what am I doing? And... Am I really getting something? Like, am I gaining from this? I, I'm not even looking at if somebody else is really getting anything spiritually from me doing sure. that. But then I kind of feel depleted after sometimes because I gave all these things and then I go home and I made everyone like so happy, everyone's super excited, and I go home and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm back here again. You know, because I did all these wonderful things and I was on this growth thing and it was rocking, it was great, and then, I, did I really grow? Yeah, so watch this. 
We need that whiteboard one day. We just need it. I need, I need that whiteboard now so I can do sloppy handwriting on it. You, you, what you just described is you in a season of growth and consolation. And that works you. When you're in a season of growth and consolation, you are doing things for other people. Like That is what it means to be in a season of growth and consolation. When a garden is growing, people are benefiting from it. Right? That is the actual reality of it. But we're not infinite beings. So that, that fatigues us. So then what happens is we go from growth uh, over consolation, and then we get tired, and it goes growth, desolation, which can quickly become stress, desolation, right? But what you just said, when you get home and you say, now I need something, that is you saying, I know where I am. That is literally you doing what we're trying to say here is, you, re- you recognized a shift. It was growth. It was consolation. I was motoring. Other people are blessed. Other people's lives are better. People celebrated their wedding with my cake. This is great. And then it's like you feel empty. And you say, now I feel empty. Like, where's my cake? <laughs> right? That's not. And here's the thing. Right there, me and you, right there, Satan's chirping at you. It's selfish to say that. It's not it's not selfish to realize now I'm hungry for something. And to know where you are. So now you know. You get home that night. Let's say that's a Friday. You wake up on a Saturday morning. And you know waking up. I'm still in a season of growth. But I'm, I'm fatigued. I'm tired. And I'm in need. I, I need someone to fill me. Part of a single mom syndrome. Because I, I'm little. So I feel like I can do everything. I can drag a piece of furniture up from the basement. I don't need help. I can do it myself. Like, I sort of mean was having a little baby saying, I can do it myself. And then I started joking with my kids all the time. I'm like, I can do it myself. And I'm reaching up in the cabinet, like, something too high. And my son put stuff up there on purpose. Like, he's like, yes, I'm like, the tongs out of the thing. That I can get the thing to oatmeal and I can do it myself. And I, I'm just, and I can do it myself mode. And I've just been there for so long that when that is quiet and I can open that Bible, or I can listen to that music, then I'm saying, wow, I am here by myself in this space. Mm. And am I really doing it by myself? Do I really want to do it by myself? Mm. And I just gave a lot of myself today, whatever that event was, or wherever that place I went, and then when I get home, it's just that hovering thing over me. And sometimes I don't know what to do with that. Well, one, we should definitely talk. The three of us should definitely talk about this further, right, in our office. Because that's what you're, the, the example you're setting right now, and I know there's ten people in the room right now who have said similar things to me and Jacqueline in the last six months. You're very aware of your needs. And it is so healthy to be there. And the next thing is, in, in less of a public setting, to, to begin to talk through deeper what, what that is. So like when you say, and then it starts to hover, like that's where we, we need to talk, we need to pray, we need to understand what's more, more details, what's going on in that moment, because, because of this quote right here. This is St. Ignatius. Whenever you become aware of resistance... Call it emptiness, call it loneliness, call it something. Whenever you become aware of resistance, respond to it as a warning light and seek to discover the source of the resistance. 
Resistance is a gift from God that invites you to a deeper discovery concerning God and yourself. So internally pause and ponder when you become aware of resistance. Ask God to help you discern where the resistance is coming from. What does it reveal about your image, level of belief, love and trust in God? What does it tell you about your sense of self, your identity? Take time to reflect and unpack your resistance, for over time the results can be life-changing. And so this is where it's like, hey, this is where you, you come alongside people and we unpack what's going on in that moment of the emptiness. We unpack it, we talk about it, and we start to think like, what is God telling you about you? What is he telling you about you, about the life around you? And that's where real healing and breakthrough and a whole slew of salvation things begin, begin to happen. But it's precisely because you can name, like you can know on Thursday, I have all these things to do, and I'm going to hit that peak at this point. That's so unbelievably healthy to know that. But now it comes down to, okay, now, now let's, let's get together and talk about what's going on. When, when that peaks down, let's talk about what's actually happening. Come to our house, sit at our dining room table, and we should have this conversation. Yes, bring cake. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bad time to ask. For the carrot cake. Ever bring the cookies. Bring the cookies. All of a sudden, like, we're the reason why she's going to fall. <laughs> she's going to get to our house like, I'm done. Anyway, that's, that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, first of all. Appreciate that. And let's keep following up on that specific thing. Thoughts? I was just going to say, I understand what you're saying about resistance because um, I had a situation. My aunt was at my house over the holidays and I needed, um, my office was just in chaos. And she started helping me and then she knew I wanted some changes in it. And she's good with that. So now I got some, so she said she was going to come over and help me. And she, um, I said, well, you know, saying to myself this week, I got some days coming off. I don't need her to come and help. I can just do it myself, but I, but Mama, what she said that that gives me something to do, you know. Mm. So I changed my mind because I was going to try to go. I'd be home by myself, do whatever. But I'm going to continue to welcome her. She mm. said, it gives her something to do. Yeah. So there's that's awesome because there's two there's two awarenesses happening. There's your awareness that like I know I know the place I'm in. And I know that I have these days coming off, and I know that I'm in the place where when I have days off, I can do this myself. Now pause there for a second, because for a lot of us, days off are terrifying. Because before you get to the day off, it's, I'm going to do all of these things. But as the day off is coming, you're like, I'm going to end up doing nothing for two days, and then I'm going to hate myself more. Right? So in this case, you, you're aware that when those days off come, I, I can get done what I need to get done. But you're also aware of where somebody else is on that chart. Someone else needs consolation. And you know that you're in a season of growth and consolation. So you're okay doing it by yourself. But you're also okay opening up yourself to needing help just because it's going to give somebody else something to do. You're, you're aware of two people on this chart yourself. There might be a time where that person says to you, it'll just give me something to do. But you know... You're not in the place to have somebody come help you. Because sometimes people helping you can be triggering. 
because they're helping you in a way that you really are like, oh, that's not the help I wanted. <laughs> You're putting that away, but I'm going to have to put it someplace else after, right? Like that kind of thing. So there might be a time where you hear somebody say, well, it would give me something to do, but you know, I can't say yes to it this time. But in this case, you know, like, I'm, I'm good enough to do this by myself. I'm good enough to have somebody over and come help. So you know the place you're in, it's strong enough, so now you can be a consolation. Like, these are healthy things. Like, and, and sometimes, what, sometimes Jacqueline and I want to sh- make sure that we realize we're unhealthy when we think we are healthy. But equally with that, I think these days, a lot of us need to realize we're healthier than we think in other areas as well. Like, that's a very mature, very healthy view of yourself, your time, and what somebody else needs. And that's the kind of, like, when we think about breakthrough, that's the kind of life we want people to be living, right? Like, this life where I know where I'm at, and I know where you're at, and I know how to navigate my life to interact with your life so that we can both be better, right? And so, again, I could go on and on, but this is, that's good. That's good. Can you describe that situation in the chart? Yeah. I can make something up for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, my, that's my question. Is like, what, where do they, you did a brief rundown of how they progressively go worse. Like, where, do they, where do you see them tending towards? Okay, so I'm in a situation where I realize I have days off coming and I have to get things done. And I'm very aware that like, if I just can have the time to do it, I can put my head down and get these things done. I call that growth and consolation. I'm strong, I'm capable, I'm ready, I can do this. But then somebody else is like, hey, you know, what are you doing on Saturday? Oh, I'm going to be house cleaning. Oh, let me come over and help. And you're like, I really know I can do this. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Honestly, I just need something to do. It, It would be helpful for me to have something to do. At that point... If you're in a season of growth and consolation, you can say, come on over. If you're in a season of stress and consolation, it's complicated. Because you need to say, all right, I feel like I want to do this by myself, but I'm feeling, in a Christian sense, I'm feeling benevolent, I'm feeling the love of God. I think once this person comes over, my stress is going to turn into growth. If you're in a season of growth and desolation, you might just motor over that person's need and say, I'm going to do it myself, thinking that you're doing the right thing. You're getting stuff done for yourself, not realizing that somebody needed to be there, but you didn't notice. And if you're in a season of stress and desolation, you probably didn't say, I could get stuff done on my days off to begin with. You were probably the one calling for help and saying, can I just at least come over and watch you clean? (laughs) Right? Is that helpful? Yes, very much. Thank you. Does that make sense? What do you think? I agree. <laughs> that makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> the stress and consolation one, like you said, is the complicated one because sometimes if you're listening for God's voice, he might tell you that you have too much going on and it wouldn't be healthy for you physically or emotionally to have that person over. Right. So, so you would have to hear, okay, I can't have them over today, but maybe, you know, we'll set a date for three days from now where they can come over and do something else with me or something like that. Yes, or I'm going to have them over because it's the right thing to do. This is just another look. 
but I know what it's going to do to me. I'm going to be triggered by it. So I'm going to have the person over. And it's going to be helpful for, for them. But I now I know when that person gets here, I'm going to be on edge. So I need to be aware of that ahead of time. So we're going to be cleaning, and they're going to make a joke. They're going to say something. They're going to make a comment. And I'm going to be wired. But I knew ahead of time I was going to be. So I'm just waiting until they leave, and then someone's going to hear the vent. Somebody is going to hear it, whether it's my pillow or anybody else. I'm going, I need, but like, so it's not just, it's not always a should I, shouldn't I. It sometimes is a, sometimes it's an I have to do this, but I know what it's going to do to me when I do it. Right, so locating yourself helps you do, move from the first thought to the second thought. Yes, yes. So my first look, if I don't know where I am on this chart, my first look at that might just, I'm getting frustrated with this person being here, and I might not think anything more about, okay, this is due to the season that I'm in. I would just think, this person's really annoying, I don't want to hang out with them anymore, or, you know, like, make my first thought about how frustrating it is just be the only thought that I have, whereas if I know what season I'm in, I can understand more (laughs) what I need and, and where it's coming from. Does that make sense? So, like, we had a funny situation the other day where I came home Friday, yesterday. Was it yesterday when I said... Man, was yesterday Friday? It feels like... (laughs) One of these days, I came in, and I was starving, like, starving. And I come in, and Jacqueline's, like, you know, Theo's crying, and I walk in the door, and Sophia's explaining something to me, and it's taking a really long time, and I'm just like... I don't know what she's talking about. And I was just getting like really, I was just cranky. I was cranky at the time. I was cranky. And so Jacqueline's like, I was like, can I help with anything? And when she's stressed, she's like, no, but I know it's a yes. Now I'm in the death trap of the century. Like, do I take her seriously and go sit down? Do I help? And then she gets mad at me for helping? Like, whatever. You're supposed to do it without. without You're just answer. supposed to automatically know what yes. I need and just automatically. We're all supposed to. We're all supposed to be wizards and warlocks. Not everything's Harry Potter. I can't. I don't have a bowl where I can put a teardrop in it and see the future. I know. I know you're disappointed that I'm not Harry Potter. Go on. Anyway, that's not. We have weird arguments. So Jacqueline's like, I said something and she goes, I'm cooking. And I was like, Are you sure you're not cutting yourself again? Now watch this. Watch this. As soon as I said it, I'm like, Why? Watch this, watch this. Jacqueline's, Jacqueline first, and I know, uh, mom and dad, I know you both know this. She has a, an angry jaw when she's not in a good mood, but sometimes she smiles a little bit. And so she did, and she says, I'm going to take that one as a joke. What I just, the minute she said that, I just said to myself, all right, dude, you just took all the money out of the bank. No more withdrawals before you make a deposit. Take Theo, take Sophia, put them on your lap, and let her finish what she's doing. But the thing is, in those moments, we were both, for once, very aware of where we were at and where the other person was at. She knew I was cranky. I knew she was busy. She knew I needed to get one thing out. She took it and said, okay, and then she warned me. Threatened, warned, these are very razor's edge words. 
I'm going to give you that one. And it's like, okay, I didn't deserve that one. I'll take it, and now I'm going to shut my mouth and go over here. It's like, in those moments, those are the moments that can turn into a two-day argument. Right then and there. You are on the thinnest ice. It can devolve so fast. The amount of healing that can come from knowing where you are right then and there, and then where the other person is. And you can quickly adapt. Give the other person some space, they give you some space, you mutually do that. It was five minutes later we had, we were laughing, Theo was joking around at the table, we had a really good night. And it's like, it was amazing to me after 12 years of marriage and 18 years of being together that we got one night right, which is great. We're trending in the right direction. That first win, get those points on the board, kick the field goal. You know, it was, but that, that's kind of, it's like, and it's not always so clean, like this chart blends. But just even thinking, even just saying, where am I? And if you can't specifically cleanly locate it in like a clinical way, just even the question, asking yourself the question that God is always asking you, Bill, where are you? Carrie, where are you? Essie, where are you? And just saying to yourself, uh, I'm obviously cranky right now. So clearly, even though I don't realize it, I'm probably being much ruder than it seems like because I'm cranky. And so it's like, okay, know where you are. Know where that person is. I haven't been here all day. I haven't had this kid following me around crying nonstop. Nonstop, Theo. He cries. I, I'm with him. He sits on the couch next to me, and we watch Good Morning Football. For hours. Hours. The minute she gets home, it's like, whoa. Like, it was following me around the house. I'd go crazy. So it's like sometimes knowing that you don't know what the other person just went through can make you humble. At least just take on the humility of, I don't know what your day was like. Right? So anyway, all that to say. It's not always just saying the specific square. This is why we went to that inn and barn thing first. Don't try to be perfect with something like this. Just use this as a chance to say, what might be happening with me right now? What do I need? And when I have these needs, but I have to go to work, I have to go to church on Sunday, just so you know, everybody. (laughs) I have to do these things. I know the minute I start to interact with it, if I'm in a season of growth and consolation, it's going to be great. I'm going to listen to Fred Hammond the whole way to church and then get my praise on before it even starts. And then there's going to be other times where it's like, they don't want me there. They don't want me there. I'm going to to quench the spirit. I'm a fire hose and I'm going to spray it on the fire of Pentecost and water it all down. You know what's going to happen to you. Sometimes you still have to do it. You still have to go to work. You still have to come home. You still have to do these things. You still have to be by yourself. You know what's coming. But you know that you know it's coming, and you know what it does to you, and you know that it makes you thin in patience and in other areas. And so that can help you, even that one little inch, that one little breath, that one little moment to say, I'm going to take that as a joke. That one tiny bit of space she gave was enough for us to both pause and me say, you just made one too many comments, don't make two too many comments. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't bring up the avocado anymore. Don't bring up knives anymore until you get to church on Saturday where it's safe. <laughs> and you make sure you took separate cars on the way there. So what you just said cleared up a whole bunch of stuff for me because that interaction that the two of you had when you came home, what happened was 
in my mind is you realized where you were in that moment. Yeah. And you are aware of where you were in that moment. When I look at the word stress, what ha what I think of is if I'm stressed, I'm either in the future or in the past. You know, I'm either thinking what's going to happen or what happened. So being in the moment and aware of where you are in that moment, to me, is critical. So, but meanwhile, there's all these intrusive thoughts popping in all the time. And this isn't double speak. This isn't cute, what I'm about to say. I know I'm cute, but this isn't cute, what I'm about to say. In the moment, you're in the future. Or in the moment, you're in the past. Right. So, like, when you say, like, oh, like, or, so when I'm stressed, my brain is either in the, in the future or in the past. But the reality is, in the moment, you're in the future. So that's where you need to say to yourself, right now, I'm in tomorrow. Or I'm in ten minutes from now. But that is also where you are in the moment. In the moment, you're projecting or you're reflecting. But in the moment, that's what you're doing. And it's important for you to know that. Like, the minute you know, you know, I'm assuming, Mom. <laughs> that might be an accurate assumption. Yep. Just to take a wild guess, dart at the dartboard, Mom. You, you know, all right, this is what has to happen, and this is where we're both at, and so these are the things that could happen. You need to tell yourself, okay, those are projections. Right. They're maybe necessary ones, but they are. Like, I projected when Jacqueline said, oh, I'm going to let that one go. And I'm like, she's going to do to me what she did to her hand if I make one more comment. <laughs> so there was a projection of the future. Yeah. But because that projection happened, I was like, let me just go into the upper room with the children. Right. Come over here where it's safe, you know? <laughs> but 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 at that point you were you were in the moment and the you moment. decided to be a servant and take your children. Yeah. Yeah. So you were actually serving. For once, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of practice, I think, to like I think you have to begin by reflecting back on what just happened. Because mm -hmm. you're not always in the moment going to have that breath where you're like, Oh, I should pause and think about what's happening and then change what I was about to do, I think you have to have a lot of reflecting. And as you practice reflecting on how did the situation go and what season was I in and how did it cause me to act this way or cause the other person to act this way, as you get that practice, you decrease the amount of time that it takes for you to think about how does my season apply to this? And the more yeah. you practice, the better you get at it. Yeah. yeah. And we're able to let that go rather than to have to drag it on further. You right. both say yes. you're dumb. Because there's been lots of times where I didn't let it go. And then, you know, two hours later, I was thinking, okay, now that I've calmed down, I can think more clearly about this. And, right. you know, maybe sometimes a half you would hour think later. the amount of times that Sophia made you watch Frozen, you would know to let it go. Because <laughs> all, all of those right. intrusive ideas will pass. They will. They will pass. They absolutely yeah. will, yeah. yeah. But it, it's a lot of hard work and it's really tiring and I would guess to go back to Rob's example being or, or Claire's example being in a place where you're hearing someone else 
you know, criticize you or say something that God's not saying, it you're probably exhausted when you leave that place from yep. having the wrestling match of this is what they're saying, but no, God says this. This is what they're saying, but I'm not going to take it. It's like a wrestling match, and it's really it's hard work, and yeah. I think it's exhausting sometimes to put that in, but there's fruit that comes from it. Yes. You experience grace. Yes. Grace. yes. And you find out what that means. Yes. Where it's nothing to do with you. It's only to do with him. That's yeah. right. And he steps in and you're like, wow, this doesn't affect me that way anymore. That's yeah. Right. I didn't make that happen. So you're, if, if you're in yeah. desolation, that's really hard to do. It is. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's not easy. Because you're not facing God. You're not looking to God. It's not easy. Right. And then there's times where you have to do things and neither of us are in a position where we're going to easily want to serve the other person. Right. We're both shot. Right. And we say that to each other. It's like, there's no answer here. It's just like, hey, Jacqueline, mm-hmm. today's going to be one of those days. Like, we've, we both have needs. We're both not going to have them met. <laughs> Buckle up. Today's going to be one of those days. And it's just sometimes the camaraderie of knowing that, mm-hmm. letting somebody else know that you're having one of those days. Like, again, if you, if you live by yourself and you wake up and say, I'm, gonna, I'm having one of those days... Good God, tell somebody. I have to go to work. I can't call in. I've used all my sick time, and it's January 15th. <laughs> right? I, I, I gotta go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill somebody when I get there. You got to tell somebody that you're, that you're in a position where you have to do something. It is your responsibility to go do it, and you can't. Right. You have to tell somebody. Someone has to know to think about you, to text you, to call you. Hey, let's, let's, let's quickly, let's FaceTime on our lunch break here. See how you're doing. I mean, you have to let somebody know. That's a warning shot. Hey, I'm going hiking today by myself. You know what I'm saying? Let's turn on fine friends and let's figure out where we are that day. You know what I'm saying? Like we have to spiritually turn on fine friends sometimes and just know where's that, where's Pia at today, that little blue dot. She's where she should be good. And then you check a lunch break, like, where? She's in the woods. We gotta go get Pia. <laughs> so, like, really, like, when you're in those moments where you, you know I'm in, I'm in one of those days, all you gotta do is text somebody who is here and just say, I'm, I'm on the spectrum today. Please help me. I can't find myself. I'm, I'm here. I'm gonna need help. <laughs> I'm stuck on that. Okay. On well, it makes sense for this. There's other reasons why you can say that. I know, I know. Don't it say was just, It was a funny phrase. Okay. I need help today. Um, I need help today, guys, just so you know. It's not going to automatically take away the stress of the situation, but it is the consolation, right, of turning... If Jesus says, I'm there where two or more are gathered, if you're gathering with another person, even just over the phone, and just letting them share the burden, even if they don't have any advice or anything to give to take away the stress, there's something about that consolation that can change your day, even if it's still stressful. Yeah, camaraderie is consolation. Someone knowing that I'm going into a meeting that I don't have what it takes today, and I know this meeting is going to be combative. Ian, I'm having this meeting. It's going to be combative while you're up there in the balcony making amazing things happen for the church. Can you just, just pray for me? It's just good to know that somebody knows what you're, what you're going into, what's going to happen. I had to make a phone call this week 
And I knew I was, I was in a thin space to begin with, and I knew this phone call was going to make me on the razor's edge of having a really bad day. And in this particular case, it worked out where I trust Ian, and we both work here, and I said, dude, I'm having this conversation in the sanctuary. Stay up in the balcony. And it was just, just knowing that somebody else was there. He knows what's going on. He's involved in the situation. The person I was on the phone with knows Ian is involved in the situation. It was really helpful just to be in the sanctuary with Ian up there, just knowing that there was some camaraderie, that this was going to take me to a, a thin space quick. And, and it was nice. It's just that camaraderie is important. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go into a meeting. I have this presentation to do. It's going to kill me. Pray for me for the next 15 minutes. And then you get that text like 18 minutes later, how to go, oh, well, well, thank you. Like there's some consolation that comes with that. Simple as that. Man. Simple, simple adjustments can change a whole day. Yeah. Just real quick. I was, well, uh, Frank mentioned desolation. I was thinking about even when you go through those times of desolation, God eventually will bring you through it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And nothing is lost when you go through desolation. God, God will, you will be able to look back and have a different perspective on things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very redemptive. Even when you're, you know, even though you've gone through it, God will, God will take you someplace after you've gone through it. Yes. 100%. Where does Jesus go to pray? He goes to desolate places. Mm -hmm. Says it over and over and over again. He went to a desolate place to pray. And what do we do? We go find him there. When you enter desolation, you're not lost. You're about to find him. He's there already, praying. He goes to desolate places and waits for us to get there, and when we get there, he's praying. Yeah? Thank you for telling me that I was that you think that I'm I know where I am. Um, I need to hear that, because being lost sucks. I just try to go to hunt one of those ski places to take the kids sledding or whatever. This was a few years ago. And things were really rocky. I was in like, I guess not even a thing up there to represent where I went. Off respect. Yeah, it was like something else. So I was like, okay, I'll take the kids. I'm going to go. And got up there and lost my, the GPS just went, because I'm way up. I have no idea where I am. I got two kids in the back seat, mm -hmm. and I didn't even call anyone to say where I was going, have blue dot to find us. <laughs> and they just went, like dead, like gone. And I'm on some road. I probably shouldn't be on this road. I just, like, of course, we left late. Now it's starting to get dark, and we're going, like, snow tubing? Like, what am I doing? So the being lost was so terrifying. You know, I had no, I'm a cop. I'm supposed to know everything. You know, I do all of this for other people, and I, I'm lost with my kids. And I said, and I literally started, like, tearing up. And I couldn't let the kids see it because I'm like, I'm so lost. I don't know where I'm going. And it looks like the 1800s up there. Like, where are I going? And I'm like, how do I get out of here? And instead of just keeping going forward, the Frank said, I had to go back. I turned mm. around, and I went back to get where the last signal where I could reach. It was like 15 miles back. But I picked up the signal. I didn't want to keep going forward. I didn't know how more lost I was going to get. I went back. Yeah. And the signal came back. <clears throat> Enough for me to say, okay, I'm going to write all these next instructions down mm -hmm. in case I lose a signal again. Mm -hmm. And then I went forward and made it to the place. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. some to that absolutely makes sense. Oh, yeah. That backward and forward thing. So, yeah, remember you made you it in a nice time and it worked out. So. Remember you amazing. met with a couple and you said to them, when was 
the last time that you felt really passionate and alive at church? Yeah, it was. They were, they were lost, and we said, um, we said when when things were at their best, what was happening in your life? What were you doing? What were you doing? What was going on? And one of the first things they said was, we were fellowshipping with people. Yeah. First thing. And so, yeah, I mean, but that's, there's nothing scarier than when you're, like, so in this case, you're not lost. Right? And there's nothing scarier. And I think we said this, we said this a few months ago in, in a sermon, maybe like October or something. We said that the scariest place to be lost is at home. The scariest place to be lost is when you're lost where you should be. So in this case, all this time, you're thinking, uh, you know, I'm lost, I'm lost. And we're over here saying, you know exactly where you are. Everything you're feeling is something that, like, it takes maturity and spiritual acumen to be able to say, I was good, and now I'm not. That sounds so easy. That's one of the hardest things for us to do, and then know what to do with that information. So one of the scariest things is when you're, like, lost in the house of God. Right? We, we're, we're trying to seek and save the lost out there. Some of them are more found, they just don't realize it, and some of us are so lost, we have no idea. And so, like, this is one of those things we need consolations. We need to console each other. This was a consolation. Right? And it's healthy, and it helps. Sends you on your way. All right. We, uh, we could keep going at this church. This is why I love, I love so much the discussion. It's the best. It's the best. So let's stand. Let me just pray. We can go and uh, bring the Spirit tomorrow. It'll be good. Lord Jesus, we simply pray and ask that when our anxious thoughts are multiplied against us, your consolations will cheer our soul. Yes. And so we pray, Father God, for any of us who are in a desolate moment, that you would simply send a word, a thought, an image, a person, a text to console us so that top number can move from stress to growth. And we pray that as that happens, like you said to Peter, as he is strengthened to return, that he would be strengthened to strengthen his brothers and sisters. And so I pray that we wouldn't just receive your consolations, but that we would give them as soon as we have them. And I pray that even that would console us as we console others. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all very much. Fun, fun. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.